Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. Dear friends, sometimes the truth hurts. And you and I know that when we say that and when we hear that, we know what that means, that when we come upon a painful fact that opposes us, the very fact kind of hurts, and also how we come upon that painful opposing fact can also sometimes hurt. For example, guys, this might not be something new, especially if you're over the age of 30 or 40. You're probably not as strong as maybe you used to be. We talk about old man strength, you know, the joints, but beyond that, you might not be as athletic or agile, and whether you're male or female, maybe you don't quite have the same stamina or the same physical condition, or maybe even the sharpness mentally to, to speak of it that you once had, and that painful truth can be just that. It can, it can hurt. And what's even worse is not just coming upon this fact, whatever it might be, on your own, but if somebody shares it with you. When a doctor or a dentist wants to talk to you about your, you taking care of yourself or maybe lack thereof, the truth can hurt. Financial advisor wants to talk to you about your money management and how that isn't going well, that truth can hurt. Maybe a trusted confidant or a family member, a spouse or a friend, a brother or sister in the faith approaches you and wants to talk to you about something serious and you know that they're right, but especially because they're right, that truth can hurt. Whether you're on the giving or receiving end of it, though, it doesn't get any easier because what if you're the person who needs to maybe share something difficult with someone else? Who wants to do that? You start wondering, is this going to ruin our relationship? How are they going to respond? Are other people going to think I butt in my nose? I'm quite intrusive. And you come up with all of these excuses trying to get away from talking to the person that you, but you really, at the end of the day, know that you, you should. The question I want you to consider is, how do we do that? This is especially important for believers in the Christian church, isn't it? Because this is something that God in several places in his word tells us that, that we need to do. Both listen to constructive criticism that fellow Christians give and also be ready to, to share that with others. All scriptures God breathed in is useful for correcting and even rebuking at times, right? But this is, this is tough. Probably for three reasons for the Christian church in the year 2018. First of all, this is difficult because we live in a culture and in a context in history in which most people dismiss the truth. It's something that you can choose to believe, and that is your truth, and that is your truth, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is my truth, right? And we all understand this great irony that exists in our culture. It's just walking idiotic ideology. Because when other certain issues are, are brought up, for example, like, oppression or racism or classism or pollution, then everybody grabs their pitches, pitcher, their pitchforks and their torches, and they go to that comment section on the blogosphere or in social media, and they declare just how wrong such things are. And we agree, but why are those things right or wrong? Because then when it comes to a whole set of other issues, things that are modern mantras, certain things that are contemporary lifestyles, then when it comes to the idea of right or wrong, whoa, then, then somehow there's no such line that exists. That might be your truth and that might be your truth, but my truth that I've discovered in my heart as I look inward might be totally different. In other words, truth somehow doesn't exist. You know what we call that? Where truth exists over here, but where it doesn't exist over here? <coughs> Idiocy. But that's kind of the context in which we live. 
Another reason why this is difficult is because as a church, our track record for the church at large is not perfect. None of us are naive to the fact that the Christian church has used the concept of absolute truth not to do what is right, but precisely to do what is wrong. It's no newsflash to you that there have been pastors and leaders and elders and trusted Christian brothers and sisters who have used God's word, or dare I say, misused God's word to do things like commit infidelity, to steal, to burn consciences, to hurt, to harm, etc., etc. And so this is a difficult thing when we talk about listening to and being accountable to spiritual authority and absolute truth and being willing to communicate that with others. That This is just difficult. Thirdly, the reason why this is hard in our day and age is because nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to wake up and say, yeah, I'm going to welcome your constructive criticism today. Nobody signs up for this task of going and sharing what might be a difficult message with others because we know, even though it's true, the truth can sometimes hurt. So back to that question, how do we deal with this? Does that mean we just kind of like climb in a hole, cover ourselves, stick our fingers in our ears and just say, ah, la, la, just pretend like it doesn't exist? No, God doesn't negate the fact that this still needs to happen. In fact, in several places in his word, he tells us that we are the ones. There's no one excluded who, needs, who need to listen to this when it comes to us and who also need to be the sharers of this message. So how do we do that? That's exactly why he gives us a lesson like the one before us that I just read from Amos chapter 7. I said before there are three reasons why it's difficult for us to do this in 2018. It was no different in the year 750 BC, roughly, for Amos. First of all, God called Amos not from some school of the prophets. He didn't go through any training like others did in the day of Elijah and Elisha, for example. He was from Tekoa, about 10 miles south of Jerusalem, some podunk place. He was tending the herds and he was taking care of sycamore fig trees. Did it sound like he was prepped to be a prophet? Secondly, he was from the southern kingdom of Judah, sent to the northern kingdom of Israel to go and preach a message to them after David and after Solomon, the the kingdom of God's people were divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. They were not buddies. They didn't get together at Thanksgiving time for family reunion. They were rivals. They didn't like each other. So what would that be like if some guy from one goes to the other? It, it would kind of be like a Carolina Tar Heel fan in the middle of March walking into Cameron Indoor Stadium to talk to all the Duke fans about how to be a proper fan at the game of basketball. Something tells me that person's not right for the job. I'm just saying. It's, it's kind of like that, right? And thirdly, Israel was rich. Jeroboam had stretched the borders beyond where they had ever been. It wasn't really this big problem that was apparent. They had plenty of people at Bethel, their worship center. It looked like things were fine. Sure, there was some injustice, and sure, there were plenty of people who weren't perfect, and some were going through the motions, but by and large, they didn't really think they needed a solution. How do you give medicine to a person who doesn't think they're sick? You have a child and you kind of do the jaw pinch thing and then you've, you got to take this medicine. How do you do that to an entire people, an entire nation? So who would want to do this? <laughs> who would raise their hand and say, who here am I, send me to preach this message when all of these things are against me? In fact, if God were to come to you tonight and say, tomorrow I want you to go to this person and you know this and this already and I want you to share this for my word, who of you are going to say, yes, I can't wait. Calling this person out is going to be awesome. Not a single one of you, unless you might have an issue. 
None of us sign up for that kind of a thing. You think things like, I'm not ready. I'm the wrong person. They're not going to listen. All of those things which Amos could have said and more, and yet God has a way of not calling those who are equipped, but equipping those whom he calls. Exhibit A after B after C and so on throughout history, right? And when Amos went to go preach this message of judgment and repentance and impending doom, as you look back at that lesson, how was that message received? A difficult message. It was the truth, and the truth hurts. And they welcomed it with open arms, right? No. How did they receive this message or lack thereof? What is the first thing that Amaziah, Amaziah the priest says? He accuses Amos of what? Really kind of being an inconvenience, right? He says, there's this conspiracy, King Jeroboam. And, and he says, that you're going to die by the sword. Specifically, he didn't necessarily say that, but this is largely a social, if not a political, inconvenience. Secondly, he accuses him of being insensitive. The land cannot bear all your words. This is totally intolerant. You don't, you're not really being considerate about these people and being very inclusive. Sound familiar? Thirdly, he accused him of being ingenuine. Your, your motives are off. Amos, you're here for, for bread. You're a seer, a prophet for hire. Why don't you go earn your bread, your keep somewhere else? And finally, he in, accused him of being intrusive. You're butting in where you don't belong. This is Bethel. The, the, these here parts, this is where we are. This is the king's sanctuary. Your place is back there at home. Why don't you go there? Get out. You're being intrusive. And you know how Amos responded. Look, I didn't sign up for this. There was no sheet with a dotted line in the bottom where God said, hey, this is an option. No, God handpicked me and chose me to do something that's not pleasant. I didn't sign up for this. But this is still a message from God. And of all the ways that Amaziah did respond, note very carefully the ways that he did not respond but maybe should have. Notice what he didn't say. There was, there was never a time between verses 10 and 15 where Amaziah did one of these things. Took a step back. You know, I wonder if there might be just a, a little bit of injustice. Maybe just a little. I'm the priest, and so maybe I wonder if people are going through the motions, if there's even just a tidbit truth about what Amos is saying. I wonder if, if what he's saying about how we're resembling some of the nations around us, things that Amos said in chapters 1, 2, and 3, if it's true, that how we're oppressing poor people, chapters 4 and 5 and 6, if that's actually legitimate. No, he didn't take a step back and say, objectively, let me take a survey of the land and actually consider if this is true as I look at the forest through the trees. No, no, he didn't want to listen. Why? Because it hurt, even though it was true. And don't think I'm being too hard on Amaziah. He was a priest. He had, at the very least, the first five books of the Old Testament, and so he knew better. He just didn't want to listen precisely because it hurt, even though it was the truth. And it's no surprise to you when I say this, that you can share the truth with someone or someone can share the truth with you, but when the truth hurts, the way we often respond is one of two. One of two scenarios, either with humility, receiving it, or with temerity, dismissing it or refusing it. We see this today, don't we? God's word and its truth and purity, and even with high sensitivity, can be shared with people. And the person sharing it can be accused of being what? 
an inconvenience. In fact, people will often dismiss the truth precisely because it is not convenient. You, you take the young man or the young woman who've been brought up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Therefore, they know what marriage is and they know what marriage is not. They know that the gift of sex is reserved for marriage, period. But then when they're getting a little bit older, they're adults, or at least they think of themselves as such, they start to make adult-like decisions and they look at everyone else and their friends are kind of living together before marriage. You test drive a car before you buy the car, right? So, and most people kind of look at this old-fashioned view of marriage as just that. It's kind of the fodder of fuddy-duddies. It's not factual for all time, right? Never mind the fact that those who test drive marriage have statistically a higher chance of divorce. Never mind the fact that those who are together before they are married are automatically into that column, statistically more likely to have issues in their marriage. Never mind that. They look at the truth of what God says and dismiss it because it's inconvenient. So it's dismissed. Take those challenging parts of God's word. God's word says this. But when I look at my worldview, it says this. And those two things don't jibe. Or maybe your worldview says this, or your worldview says this. Either way, those don't jibe. What's the easiest thing to do with the truth? What do you do with words on paper when you don't like them? You just cover them up, you erase them, you change them, you add to them. You might do something like this. Did God really say, or maybe he really meant this? You know, something that kind of sounds like, I don't know, something from the Garden of Eden. It's inconvenient. It's also insensitive, isn't it? You believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? It means that only through Jesus does one attain and receive the, the gracious blessing of eternal life, which means that no matter how one works, how good they might appear, and what they do in the rest of their life, or how religious they are in that other branch of religion, that's not a ticket into heaven. That's insensitive. That's intolerant. That's not inclusive. It's exclusive. Are you ready for that? It's an inconvenience. It's insensitive. It's also ingenuine. When, when pastors or uh, an, a leader in the church or even a, a fellow brother or sister in Christ, even a parent is instructing their kids on the benefit of and the blessing of offerings, even just saying that word, what happens? You can quote what Jesus says, which is littered throughout the Gospels about offerings as a way of showing our love for God. It doesn't earn credit. It's not a way of, of giving away. It's, it's simply a way of showing love for God first and foremost. And that's why we give. And, but as soon as you say offerings, what immediately comes into the heads of many? Ah, it's a money drive. Instead of taking what seems to be quite clearly the truth, without even asking for numbers, it's simply an opportunity to give, and you've never been told what to give. Immediately in your head and in mind, we think, ha, ah, not of what is heavenly, but what is so easily earthly. It's ingenuine, isn't it? Finally, it can be intrusive. I know of several conversations that I have had both in this, this church and elsewhere, where sitting and talking with the person, it, it came to a difficult conversation, but it needed to be had. Because God's word says this, but words and actions are over here, and those need to be aligned, as we said in our children's message. And when you have that kind of conversation, there's one of two scenarios, isn't there? There's humble listening or the other. So easily becomes impersonal, a butting in. It's something so intrusive. And the person sharing the message, maybe even a pastor, becomes the devil incarnate. Person becomes loaded for bear and they don't want to listen, no matter how objectively true it is, they don't want to listen. 
Hey, take it personally. And I can say this to you because I know that when I've been corrected before, I've often acted the same. So how do we deal with this? How do you listen when someone wants to and needs to come to you and share the difficult truth? And because it's true, that truth hurts. There are a couple ironies, right? I mean, at this point, people react a few different ways. People will say, well, maybe that's just your interpretation of the Bible. You know what happens every single time I hear that, that's your interpretation? I will always ask that person, well, would you please sit down and show me your interpretation? And never once in the dozens and dozens of times when I have had that conversation has anyone taken me up on that offer. You want to know why? It's because to say, well, that's your interpretation is a giant way of dismissing the truth and not having the conversation. There's another irony. The way we deal with God's word sometimes, especially when the truth hurts, We don't use that same M.O. with other serious matters in life. Take, for example, the way you would deal with difficult doctor's news, a report, or even a financial advisor who says, this is the looming future that is is projected throughout the next few months. You would listen, you would hear, you would apply whatever they're giving you. But then all of a sudden, when a a spiritual advisor, a pastor, a trusted Christian friend is going to tell you something that doesn't align in your life, they are going to correct you and maybe even kindly rebuke you? Do you and I often react the same? But shouldn't we, since our eternal well-being matters more than physical health and wealth? The third point of irony might, might even be this, that to dismiss God's word of truth automatically presupposes logically that we have a better solution, but the world is still broken, isn't it? Families aren't doing better, statistically. Divorce rate is still in shambles. Depression is at an all-time high and is still increasing. There are more people that are medicated and self-medicating than ever before. Disease isn't going away. This world is broken, so there isn't really a solution for the main issues in life, so we don't have a solution. So should should we dismiss God's truth? Again, these are all ironies that get us back to the same question. How is it that we really should, as conscientious human beings, for one, but as Christians, respond to the word of truth, especially if... Even if it hurts. So what happens if you don't listen? Well, God gave this promise that there was going to be impending doom to Israel. You know what happened? 722 BC, the nation of Assyria, more ruthless than even history books explain, came down and laid waste to the northern kingdom of Israel. There's nobody that can trace their lineage back cultures were brought in. It was a melting pot. They were deported. It was a mess, leveled, no stone on top of another, just as God said. And I'm not saying that you are the nation of Israel. I never would say that. But what I am saying is that God's warnings through his Old Testament prophets, the spirit of the prophets, as Pastor Zell said before, still applies in this way, that we would look at our lives and consider how it applies. We can, we can listen to God's word of truth and, and how do we respond to that? We, you can listen to God's word of truth and, and fill your mouth with praise on Saturday or Sunday and then fill it with cursing and lies and slander on Monday and think that that doesn't make God's heart break. You can gaze upon the cross with your eyes and then look with lust upon another, whether they are a person or somebody on a screen and think that God's, God just doesn't get sick over that can look at your calendar and your priorities and think that you are so important that you don't really need to give God more credence and more time, more priority. Think that God is not shaking his head. You can fill your mouth with praise and then all of a sudden slander others. You can look at your life and think that you're better and this message is really for other people because you don't commit the whopper sins. 
You and I can look at our lives and think that this just applies to other people who are really bad, you know, those people out there, and all the while fail to see the glaring image filled with sin in front of us in the mirror. We, we can just dismiss this and think that, that none of this matters and that God's heart doesn't break over this. And I speak so strongly to you for two reasons. Because God, through his Holy Spirit, inspired Amos to speak this strongly, and also so that you would know that even though God's word is true and that truth hurts, that's not the only thing that God wants through his word. And that's not the only thing that God's word will do. Think of your finger for a second. Let's say you cut your finger terribly. You got two options. You can kind of just wrap it up, throw a little Neosporin on it, kind of hope that it gets better. But what if the redness starts to trail down towards that first knuckle and then onto your palm? You can just kind of keep it wrapped up and it won't necessarily hurt as bad. Or what's scenario number two? You open that puppy up. Things like Epsom salt and hydrogen peroxide might be the makings of nightmares from your childhood, as they are mine. <laughs> but that's necessary. If it's bad enough, you might have to go to a doctor that will do things to that infected area I won't get into because it can make some people a little queasy. And you're going to need to do which scenario? Scenario number two. And that, how bad is that going to hurt? That is going to really hurt. Who wants to open up a huge wound and pour a ton of things into it so in order to clean it, to have it even scraped, if necessary, down to the bone? Who wants to do that? That is really going to hurt. You ever had that happen before? It's terrible. But you know why you do that? So that it will only hurt for a time, and you can keep your finger. You can keep your hand. So too, God tells you these things, and it is true. And somebody's going to come to you and they might have to correct part of your life using the word of truth, not their opinion, using God's objective truth. And it's going to hurt. Why? So that it will only hurt for a time and not for eternity. That is what Jesus is for. Notice the most beautiful words in our lesson. They're at the very end. Look for grace in our lesson. And it might be hard to find, except it's found in one two-letter word at, towards the end of our lesson. How does God refer to the people of Israel? He refers to them as? They're my people. God only sends his word. He only sends his prophets. He only sends his message to hurt those whom he loves so that he will not just hurt for a time. He will heal them for all eternity. God only brings you to this resolution that you would see that everything in your life, the sin, the sickness, the infection, the lies that you and I believe are not going to help us. They're going to hurt us for eternity. And there and only there we take all of that to the Savior who experienced hurt and God did not pull away when he condemned his son on the cross so that you would experience only lasting peace and only joy and grace. I want to tell you about a man who experienced that in the greatest possible way. He was a criminal, and he acted that way his entire life. He listened to the lies that it didn't really matter what other people said about lifestyle and motives, and so he lived how he wanted. And finally, he got what criminals get. They get convicted, and he was on death row. And then came that day, and he started to listen to all of these lies that he had once believed. And there he is, and he hears another person who's being killed and executed right next to him hurling insults at a man that did nothing. And you know what this man said? He said, do not hurl such insults and such lies. We are, being, we are being punished for sins that we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then you know what this man did? It was nailed to the cross next to Jesus. This man I'm talking about, you know what he said to Jesus? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And do you remember what Jesus said to this criminal? I tell you the 
truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. That is a savior of such undying love who would look at a criminal who is so hurt that he thinks he's not, he's not worthy of heaven. Just remember me when you get there. I'll be a distant memory in hell. And he looks at him and says, with such healing, today you will be with me in paradise. My friends, you have a God who wants you to empty yourself of all that you are so you would receive all that God gives. Grace upon grace. You would not receive the punishment of your sins. Instead, you would know that for now and for all eternity, God looks at you and he declares you his own. So then when you hear somebody come to you and they share the truth, you have two options. Don't be like Amaziah. Don't be like that. Take a moment to actually pause. You actually have the word. It is words on paper and you can look objectively. You can take whatever they are saying, even if it might be a little jerkish, you can say, is it true? And you can pause at least for a moment to say, is what they are telling me true? Is it going to help me for all eternity? And then with God-given humility and not with an ounce of temerity, you would listen to what they are saying. And when you do, I promise you, no, God himself declares to you that you will experience no more pain. You will experience no hurt. Guilt will be gone and you will receive only grace and mercy and peace that knows no bounds and has no end. My friends, on that last day when, when you experience only healing and no more pain, then you and I for all eternity will, will hear and experience what God declares to his people, that we are his very own. So for now, the truth might hurt only so that, only so that forever it will heal. God grant that to you all. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.